to the editor of the pall mall gazette fourteenth of october eighteen eighty four from miscellanies by oscar wilde woman's dress pall mall gazette october fourteenth eighteen eighty four mr oscar wilde who asks us to permit him that most charming of all pleasures the pleasure of answering one's critics sends us the following remarks the girl graduate must of course have precedence not merely for her sex but for her sanity her letter is extremely sensible she makes two points that high heels are a necessity for any lady who wishes to keep her dress clean from the stygian mud of our streets and that without a tight corset the ordinary number of petticoats and etc cannot be properly or conveniently held up now it is quite true that as long as the lower garments are suspended from the hips a corset is an absolute necessity the mistake lies in not suspending all apparel from the shoulders in the latter case a corset becomes useless the body is left free and unconfined for respiration and motion there is more health and consequently more beauty indeed all the most ungainly and uncomfortable articles of dress that fashion has ever in her folly prescribed not the tight corset merely but the farthingale the virtugadin the hoop the crinoline and that modern monstrosity the so-called dress improver also all of them have owed their origin to the same error the error of not seeing that it is from the shoulders and from the shoulders only that all garments should be hung and as regards high heels i quite admit that some additional height to the shoe or boot is necessary if long gowns are to be worn in the street but what i object to is that the height should be given to the heel only and not to the sole of the foot also the modern high-heeled boot is in fact merely the clog of the time of henry the sixth with the front prop left out and its inevitable effect is to throw the body forward to shorten the steps and consequently to produce that want of grace which always follows want of freedom why should clogs be despised much art has been expended on clogs they have been made of lovely woods and delicately inlaid with ivory and with mother-of-pearl a clog might be a dream of beauty and if not too high or too heavy most comfortable also but if there be any who do not like clogs let them try some adaptation of the trouser of the turkish lady which is loose round the limb and tight at the ankle the girl graduate with a pathos to which i am not insensible entreats me to apotheosize that awful befringed beflounced and bekilted divided skirt well i will acknowledge that the fringes the flounces and the kilting do certainly defeat the whole object of the dress which is that of ease and liberty 
but i regard these things as mere wicked superfluities tragic proofs that the divided skirt is ashamed of its own division the principle of the dress is good and though it is not by any means perfection it is a step towards it here i leave the girl graduate with much regret for mr wentworth Hoish. mr Hoish makes the old criticism that greek dress is unsuited to our climate and to me the somewhat new assertion that the men's dress of a hundred years ago was preferable to that of the second part of the seventeenth century which i consider to have been the exquisite period of english costume now as regards the first of these two statements i will say to begin with that the warmth of a paddle does not depend really on the number of garments worn but on the material of which they are made one of the chief faults of modern dress is that it is composed of far too many articles of clothing most of which are of the wrong substance but over a substratum of pure wool such as is supplied by dr jaeger under the modern german system some modification of greek costume is perfectly applicable to our climate our country and our century this important fact has already been pointed out by mr e w godwin in his excellent though too brief handbook on dress contributed to the health exhibition i call it an important fact because it makes almost any form of lovely costume perfectly practicable in our cold climate mr godwin it is true points out that the english ladies of the thirteenth century abandoned after some time the flowing garments of the early renaissance in favour of a tighter mode such as northern europe seems to demand this i quite admit and its significance but what i contend and what i am sure mr godwin would agree with me in is that the principles the laws of greek dress may be perfectly realised even in a moderately tight gown with sleeves i mean the principle of suspending all apparel from the shoulders and of relying for beauty of effect not on the stiff ready-made ornaments of the modern milliner the bows where there should be no bows and the flounces where there should be no flounces but on the exquisite play of light and line that one gets from rich and rippling folds i am not proposing any antiquarian revival of an ancient costume but trying merely to point out the right laws of dress laws which are dictated by art and not by archaeology by science and not by fashion and just as the best work of art in our days is that which combines classic grace with absolute reality so from a continuation of the greek principles of beauty with the german principles of health will come i feel certain the costume of the future and now to the question of men's dress or rather to mr huish's claim of the superiority in point of costume of the last quarter of the eighteenth century over the second quarter of the seventeenth 
the broad-brimmed hat of sixteen forty kept the rain of winter and the glare of summer from the face the same cannot be said of the hat of one hundred years ago which with its comparatively narrow brim and high crown was the precursor of the modern chimney-pot a wide turned-down collar is a healthier thing than a strangling stock and a short cloak much more comfortable than a sleeved overcoat even though the latter may have had three capes a cloak is easier to pat on and off lies lightly on the shoulder in summer and wrapped round one in winter keeps one perfectly warm a doublet again is simpler than a coat and waistcoat instead of two garments one has one by not being open also it protects the chest better short loose trousers are in every way to be preferred to the tight knee-breeches which often impede the proper circulation of the blood and finally the soft leather boots which could be worn above or below the knee are more supple and give consequently more freedom than the stiff hessian which mr hoish so praises i say nothing about the question of grace and picturesqueness for i suppose that no one not even mr hoish would prefer a macaroni to a cavalier a lawrence to a van dyke or the third george to the first charles but for ease warmth and comfort this seventeenth-century dress is infinitely superior to anything that came after it and i do not think it is excelled by any preceding form of costume i sincerely trust that we may soon see in england some national revival of it End of section.